1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and starship sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours.
2: good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are wherever you're listening from this is far fetched fables welcome to show number 177 i am your host nicholas eaton clark and we have a special treat for our listeners this week in the form of perchance to dream by david morell david is the author of first blood the award-winning novel in which john rambo was created He holds a PhD in American literature from Penn State and was a professor in the English department at the University of Iowa. His numerous best-selling novels include the classic espionage novel The Brotherhood of the Rose, the basis for the only television miniseries broadcasted after a Super Bowl. An Edgar and Anthony finalist and an Inkpot, Macavity and Nero recipient, Morell has three Bram Stoker Awards and ITW's prestigious Thriller Master Award. BoucherCon, the world's largest conference for crime fiction readers and authors, gave him its Lifetime Achievement Award. His work has been translated into 30 languages, and you can visit him at davidmorell.net. This fabulous story is read by Rish Outfield, a writer, voice actor and audiobook narrator who can be heard co-hosting the Steef Audio Fiction magazine and That Gets My Goat podcasts, where he and Big Anklevich entertainingly waste much of their time. His own stories can be heard on the Rish Outcast podcast. He once got a job because of his Sean Connery impersonation, but has lost two due to his Samuel L. Jackson impression. And now, Perchance to Dream by David Morell. Dr.
3: Baker. Dr. Dr. Baker?
0: He came to my office on a Friday afternoon. Tall, slender, and sandy-haired. He had a thin, aristocratic face that might have been handsome if it weren't so haggard. His eyes looked puffy. Red streaked their whites. I was surprised when I later learned that he was forty. He appeared at least ten years older. He said his name was Jody Cook. He spelled his last name, emphasizing the final E. And when I introduced myself as Dr. Gerald Baker, he frowned. Baker, we're both in that nursery rhyme. Nursery rhyme? The baker, the cook, and the the candlestick maker. You've got it slightly wrong, I said. Wrong? In the nursery rhyme. "'It's the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick-maker.' "'Ah, yes, the butcher,' Jody said, his raw eyes looking pained. "'When I asked him about his background, he answered, "'I'm a professor at SCAD. "'That's the acronym for the Savannah College of Art and Design. "'He taught classes in architectural restoration,' he explained." and had supervised some of the dramatic renovations in Savannah's once crumbling historic district. His drawn features emphasized what he said next. I'm not sleeping well. He stared toward a pamphlet on my desk. The Savannah Center for Sleep Disorders. It oddly occurred to me that there was only one letter's difference between S.C.S.D. and S.C.A.D. "'Do you mean you have trouble falling asleep, or you wake often during the night?' I asked. "'Insomnia. No,' he rubbed his forehead. "'I go to bed regularly at eleven, and I wake at seven. Eight hours ought to be enough, shouldn't it?' "'For most people. There are rare cases of some people needing ten or twelve hours. A few seem to need only three or four but it's our opinion that almost everybody doesn't get enough. Sleep debt. Isn't that what they call it? Yes. I don't think that's my problem. As near as I can tell, I sleep soundly. But I wake up exhausted. Every morning I feel as though I never went to sleep. Look at me. From my face you'd think I hadn't slept in weeks. "'For God's sake, can you help me get some rest?' A sudden suspicion made me ask, "'You came to me for tranquilizers.' "'No. I don't like taking pills, not even aspirins. But I can't stand feeling this way. I have trouble concentrating. I've got so little energy I can barely teach my classes. Can you help?' I emphasized, Medications are our last resort. If you do have a sleep disorder, behavior modification is often all that's required. I'll do anything. Good. Here's a questionnaire I need you to fill out. Basically, it's a diary. When and what you eat, when you sleep, how long you work, whether you exercise. I play tennis every day whether you drink caffeine or alcohol to excess. They can interfere with sleep. I don't use either of them. That helps eliminate a possible explanation. I checked my appointment book. We'll schedule some tests. Tests? You'll need to make arrangements to spend the night here. We have comfortable, pleasant bedrooms. If you normally watch television before you go to sleep, we'll provide one. Never. I like to read. You'll need to wear electrodes attached to various monitors. There will also be a video camera. Electrodes? Jody looked troubled. A camera? Our subjects feel somewhat self-conscious at first, but their sleep problems soon outweigh their self-consciousness. We require our subjects to spend at least two nights in the clinic. By the second night, they're much less distracted by the equipment. He directed his red-streaked eyes toward the floor. The despair in them was profound. When can I start? Next Thursday. It can't be sooner? I'm afraid not. We have a waiting list. Thursday can't come quickly enough. I showed him one of the rooms, which resembled a bedroom in a nice hotel. He barely paid attention to the bedside tables, the lamp, the bureau, and the landscape paintings on the walls. I pointed toward an adjacent bathroom, and explained that if he had to relieve himself in the night, a technician would unclip his electrodes and then reclip them after he returned from the bathroom. But all Jody seemed to care about was the small camera in a corner across from the bed. "'What time do you want me?' "'If your normal bedtime is eleven get here at nine. The first night, uh, it'll take a while to explain things and get you set up. The following night, you needn't be here until ten. Dr.
3: Dr. Baker?
0: Dr. Dr. Baker? I long ago stopped spending my nights at the Sleep Disorder Center. Otherwise, I'd have sleep disorders of my own. Instead, I rely on my researchers to monitor the subjects. Each morning I study the data and concentrate on any anomalies. It saves a lot of time. But not that particular night. The telephone woke me at what I later realized was shortly after three. I'd been to a cocktail party that the Savannah Historical Society gave for its supporters. Groggy, I pawed toward the receiver, fumbled it to my ear, and murmured, "'What?' I'm sorry to wake you, but you'd better come back here, my researcher said. Is something the matter with— Jody Cook, you need to come back here. In the middle of the night, there was hardly any traffic. It took me only fifteen minutes to reach the clinic's harshly lit parking garage. As I stepped from my car, I heard a bang. The building's rear door flew open. Jody Cook stormed out. He wore loose-fitting pajama shorts. Electrode wires dangled from his head, throat, chest, and legs. His eyes were wild, even redder than when I'd last seen him. Fatigue lines ravaged his face. "'My car! Where's my car?' he shouted. He held trousers in one hand, while his other hand fumbled in them and came out with keys. "'Professor Cook!' I called. His feet were bare. Agitated, he looked one way and then the other in the almost-empty parking garage. "'Where's my car?' He saw a vehicle behind a van. "'There!' He rushed toward it. My researcher ran from the building, saw Jody unlocking the car, and hurried toward him. "'Professor Cook! Stop! Dr. Baker, help me!' At that, my surprise wore off. I raced next to my researcher and reached Jody as he opened the car door. "'Stop,' my researcher said. "'Dr. Baker, we can't let him drive. He's still asleep.' "'Jody, listen to me.' He struggled. "'Jody, wake up!' He fought his way into the driver's seat. "'He doesn't know what he's doing,' my researcher yelled. "'He'll kill somebody!' Another researcher charged into the parking garage. Frantic, he held a hypodermic, but he would never have gotten to the car before Jody drove away. As Jody turned the ignition key, I pressed the center of the steering wheel. The horn's blare was amplified by the concrete in the parking garage. It was like an air-raid siren, nerve-torturing, deafening. It made Jody freeze. As if he'd been punched in the stomach, he slumped forward, pressing his chest against my hand on the steering wheel. The horn kept blaring. He jerked his head up. His eyelids, which had barely moved earlier, now fluttered. Confusion and shock coursing through him. I... What? Relax. Take a deep breath. Calm yourself.
3: What the hell am
0: I doing here? Dr.
3: Dr. Baker. Baker. Dr. Baker. Sleepwalking.
0: He looked baffled.
3: That's my problem?
0: In my office, Jody rubbed his arms. Despite the clothes he'd put on, he couldn't get warm.
3: Is that why I'm always so tired?
0: Not sleepwalking. He trembled. But isn't that what I was doing? In a manner of speaking. But that's only one of the symptoms. It appears that what's wrong with you is something we call parasomnia. What? It's defined as unwilled and unwanted acts during sleep. I haven't the faintest idea what you're— Watch this videotape. Looking disoriented and afraid, he sat with me as I played it. A time-counter on the bottom of the image showed that he'd gone to bed at 10.59. He read for a while. Nothing sensational. Only a book about renovating historic houses— and turned off the bedside lamp at 11.16. A faint light near the door to the bathroom was the only illumination. Not enough for a normal camera, which was why ours had night-vision capability, giving the image a characteristic green tint. Lying under the covers, Jody appeared uncomfortable because of the electrodes attached to him, the wires dangling from the bed. His eyes sank shut. In a while... Printouts from the various monitors indicated that he was asleep. He tossed and turned, exhaled wearily, the camera had audio capability, and gradually seemed at rest. But at 2.47 he began fidgeting.
3: Dr. Baker, he murmured. Dr. Baker!
0: His movements became exaggerated until he rolled in distress. Simultaneously, he kept talking to himself.
3: "'Where am I?'
0: He repeated that numerous times.
3: "'Need to find me.'
0: His voice got louder.
3: "'Where am I? Need to find me?'
0: At 2.56, he threw off his covers and lurched from the bed. In turmoil, he paced, trailing the electrode wires, clenching and unclenching his fists. "'Where the hell have I gone?' His pacing became so violent that he tore some electrodes from his body, while the wires attached to others snapped from their monitors.
3: Damn it! Where have I gone?'
0: At 2.59, a worried researcher entered the room and turned on the overhead lights. Jody showed no reaction. He kept pacing violently, wanting to know what had become of himself. When the researcher tried to lead him back to the bed, Jody pushed the man's arms away and shoved him against the wall. At that, the researcher hurried from the room. What he did next wasn't on the tape, but was part of the log of the event. He ran to a phone and woke me. Meanwhile, Jody became more agitated. He paced to the limits of the room, slamming his hands against each wall. He yanked the bureau from the wall. He tore the mattress and the box spring off the bed and stared at the floor under it. Then he disappeared into the corridor. The time was now 3.08. "'We don't have cameras in other parts of the centre. Only in the bedrooms,' I explained. "'So we don't have video of what happened next. "'From what the staff tells me, you stalked to the halls, asking where you were. "'You barged into other bedrooms and woke the subjects we were studying. "'You became louder and more distressed. "'Just before I arrived, you grabbed your trousers from the bedroom "'and found your way to the parking garage.' Asking where I was. Yes. I hadn't the faintest awareness of what I was doing. It doesn't appear so. My eyes were open. Yes. For sleepwalkers, that's rare. Most of them just stumble around, often injuring themselves. But my movements were purposeful. Jody looked dashing. I have to assume I've been doing something similar at home, searching the house. "'That's why I wake up exhausted. "'But I've never torn the bedroom apart before. "'I'm getting worse. "'Does any of this make sense to you? "'What did you call it? "'Parasomnia?' "'Some subjects get down on all fours and howl like dogs. "'Others eat cigarettes or chew boxes of Kleenex, spitting out wads. "'Still others fight imaginary attackers, "'punching doors and walls, "'sometimes bloodying themselves or even breaking their hands.' Jody looked horrified. "'But what causes this? Powerful dreams?' I studied him. "'Are you sure you want to discuss this now? If you don't feel alert, you might not be able to—' "'Talk to me, Dr. Baker. Help me understand what the hell is going on.' "'Here's the short version of what happens when you sleep.' Jody leaned forward. "'There are five stages,' I explained. THE FIRST IS LIGHT SLEEP, THE SECOND IS MODERATE SLEEP, THE THIRD AND FOURTH ARE DEGREES OF DEEP SLEEP. AS WELL, THERE'S THE REM STAGE. RAPID EYE MOVEMENT. YES. VIVID DREAMS ARE MORE LIKELY TO OCCUR DURING THIS PHASE. THEN THAT'S WHEN THIS MUST HAVE HAPPENED. WHEN I WAS GOING THROUGH A REM STAGE AND RESPONDING TO A DREAM. NOT NORMALLY, I SAID. What do you mean? One of the characteristics of the REM stage is that, while our eyes are darting back and forth behind our eyelids, our muscles lapse into a form of paralysis. Paralysis. In REM we can breathe and swallow and so forth, but our arms and legs aren't capable of movement. This seems to be a survival trait. Otherwise, if we dreamed we were falling or being attacked... Our bodies might respond so violently that we'd injure ourselves. He looked alarmed. But some parasomniacs have a flaw in their sleep process that activates their muscles during REM. Instead of being paralyzed, they react physically to dreams, often for the worse. Can you tell if I was in a REM phase when I started acting the way I did? Before you tore the wires from the monitors... Yes I picked up the printouts But what I saw made me frown The EGs and the EMGs for your brain and muscles Indicate that you were not in a REM stage Your arms and legs were perfectly functional Your eyes weren't moving rapidly behind your lids In fact, you weren't even in deep sleep According to this, you were in stage two Moderate sleep Yes Yes Does a person have vivid dreams in stage two? No. Then what made me act that way? Every night? Until we do more tests, I don't have an answer. Jody groaned.
3: Dr. Baker. Dr. Baker.
0: After testing subjects during sleep, we require them to return to the clinic four times during the next day. They interrupt their regular activities to lie down and try to nap while we monitor their brainwaves, pulse, blood pressure, and so forth. Jody arrived on schedule at 10 a.m., but before I could ask how he was feeling, it was obvious something was wrong.
3: "'Dr. Baker,'
0: he said. "'Dr. Baker.' He looked more tired. His eyes were more raw and haunted. "'but what troubled me was that his movements weren't only lethargic. "'They were clumsy, as if he wasn't conscious of them.
3: "'Where am I?'
0: "'But he wasn't talking about his location, "'as his next statement made clear. "'I was so caught by surprise, I couldn't speak.
3: "'Need to find where I am.'
0: "'My God,' I thought. "'He's having another episode. "'He's asleep.'
3: need to find myself.
0: Professor Cook, I managed to say. He peered into one room, which fortunately was empty. He peered into another room, and interrupted a subject who was doing her best to nap. Jody, I said, blocking his way. The use of his first name worked. Please, come with me. I feared that when I gripped his arm, he'd become violent as on the night before. But he resisted only slightly when I led him to a bedroom, where a researcher connected him to monitors. Rest.
3: need to find me.
0: In my mind, there wasn't any doubt. But the printouts confirmed it. Jody was asleep. Phase two, the same as the night before. "'but vivid dreams don't occur during that phase. "'So how could he be reacting to one? "'How could he be suffering from parasomnia?'
3: "'Dr. Dr. Baker. Dr. Dr. Baker.
0: Baker.' "'We tested Jody for two further nights "'and the nap sessions on each subsequent day. "'His brain and body rhythm still provided no clues "'as to what was wrong with him. "'But during the nights, his fits were more extended and violent.' as he destroyed each room, tearing apart the bed and looking under it. We were forced to lock his door, lest he try to leave the clinic and possibly kill someone while attempting to drive. "'Why do you suppose you keep saying that?' I asked the next morning as we studied a videotape of his behavior.
3: "'Then I need to find myself.'
0: He seemed to have aged another year. His aristocratic cheeks looked pinched by invisible forceps. His red-streaked eyes were swollen. His sandy hair had hints of grey. Yes. Could it be I'm having some kind of... I don't know, out-of-body experience? Jody was appalled by what he saw on the tape. Maybe in my sleep I'm so disoriented that I don't feel... Connected to myself.
3: Maybe that's why I feel I need to find myself. Is that possible?
0: Let's take this a step at a time. You came here because your unsettled sleep made you exhausted. More exhausted every morning. Jody's haggard features proved the point. Then until I have enough data to understand what's causing this, I'm going to treat the exhaustion itself. I told you medications were a last resort. I don't like taking... But I'm prescribing one, anyhow. It's called clonazepam. What is it? A sedative.
3: I knew it. I I knew it. I hate feeling drugged.
0: Do you hate it worse than the way you feel now? He seemed to stare right through me.
3: How will it solve my problem?
0: It relaxes the brain enough that the effect is almost the same as if your muscles are paralyzed during REM sleep. Basically, it'll stop you from doing what you see on this video. It'll keep you in your bed.
3: When I wake up,
0: I won't feel exhausted. Yes, because your body will have been able to rest. But what about my mind? What about the dreams I'm having that make me do this? "'If they are dreams,' I said. "'As I told you, vivid dreams and phase two of sleep don't go together. "'This could be a basic hardwire problem. "'When you first noticed how exhausted you were in the morning, "'were you conscious of any major stresses you were going through, "'trouble at work or in your personal life?' "'He kept staring through me.
3: "'No,'
0: he finally answered. Not at all. Of course, that doesn't mean you aren't stressed. It just means you aren't aware of it. Consider this. Because of tension, the portion of your brain that controls sleep is malfunctioning. To use a metaphor, while you sleep, short circuits are occurring. If we use clonazepam to make your brain relax, the short circuits might stop. Your brain might stop triggering the behavior we see on this tape. Dr. Dr. Baker? Dr. Dr. Baker. Baker. It was one of the few times in my career when I tested a subject for a fourth night in a row. Jody swallowed a standard dose of clonazepam 90 minutes before going to bed. By the time he shut off the lamp, he was drowsy. I made an exception to my schedule and stayed at the clinic the entire night, watching the printouts and the video. Around a quarter to three, the same as on the other nights, he squirmed beneath the covers. "'Dr. Baker? Where am I? Need to find me?' The tension in his body was obvious, something in him wanting to scramble from bed and search but the clonazepam had its effect. Gradually, his voice weakened.
3: "'Find me,'
0: he murmured. He lapsed into silence. His body stopped squirming. "'How do you feel?' I asked the next morning. "'Groggy. "'That's because of the medication. "'But do you feel rested?' Jody wiped a hand across his face. After a moment, he said,
3: "'Thank heaven. Yes.'
0: "'I think we've found a way to help you.'
3: "'But I'm still talking in my sleep. I'm still saying I need to find myself.'
0: "'If I'm right, as soon as your mind and body regain their energy, the synaptical problem in your brain that causes these episodes will correct itself.'
3: Dr.
0: Dr. Baker, Baker. Dr. 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 Baker. Jody lived in a splendid old house on Madison Square, one of the twenty-two squares in Savannah's historical district. Almost a mansion, actually. It was one of several whose restorations he'd supervised. I was curious how he'd been able to buy it, given what I assumed was the modest salary he earned as a professor for the College of Art and Design. Across from his home... The long limbs of live oaks drooped over the park. Spanish moss hung from them, seductively attractive. But its appeal was deceptive, as many tourists learned when they pulled some of the so-called moss from the trees, only to discover it was infested with bugs. I had permission to monitor Jody's progress by setting up a tape machine and video camera in his bedroom, and the corridor outside... Exhausted from having watched him all night, I could have arranged for an assistant to do it while I went home and slept, but my fascination with Savannah's history made me eager to see the two hundred-year-old home's interior. I parked in the lane in back. Instead of entering from there, I walked along the house and admired the magnificent wrought-iron fence and the flower garden behind it. As with most historic Savannah homes, the front entrance was on the second floor. Built during a time of dirt streets, the design prevented dust from entering the house. Slaves had occupied the ground level. Curved steps rose to a pillar on each side of Jody's huge front door. A black metal railing had a design of oak leaves. On one of the pillars, a plaque read, Jody Cook, Restorations. The other pillar had the metal outline of a pineapple. THE SUBJECT FOR SOUTHERN HOSPITALITY. I SET DOWN THE CAMERAS AND PULLED OUT THE KEY JODY HAD GIVEN ME. AS I INSERTED IT INTO THE LOCK, I HEARD A VOICE BEHIND ME.
3: MAY I HELP YOU?
0: THE VOICE CAME FROM A TALL, blonde WOMAN, WHO WAS PERHAPS 35, AND WORE A GREY SUIT. SHE HAD THE HIGH CHEEKBONES AND NARROW CHIN OF WHAT THE FASHION MAGAZINES CONSIDER CLASSICAL BEAUTY. "'I'm installing some equipment,' I said, then turned the key. "'Why?' The woman climbed the curved steps. Her tone was aggressive. "'Because the owner asked me to.' Annoyed, I pushed the door open. "'Stop
3: right there.
0: Who are you?' I sounded irritated. "'Gerald Baker!' Dr. Gerald Baker, from the Savannah Center for Sleep Disorders. Sleep disorders? What on
3: earth are you talking about?
0: Where did you get that key? From a patient, who happens to be the house's owner. I hoped that would settle the matter and get this busy body out of my way so I could arrange the cameras and go home for a nap. The woman took a step backward, as if pushed. For a moment I feared she would lose her balance and topple down the stairs. "'Jody Cook?' "'That's right. Now if you'll excuse me—'
3: "'I'm his sister-in-law.'
0: "'If you think I don't belong here, use my cell phone and call him.'
3: "'There's nothing I'd like better,'
0: she glared.
3: "'But he's dead.'
0: "'What?' "'If you don't get out of here, I'll call the police.' Dead. No. There's some mistake. I spoke to Professor Cook this morning. Jody wasn't
3: a professor. He was in real estate.
0: I'm telling you, I'm treating a man named Professor Jody Cook. He teaches at the College of Art and Design. The last time I spoke to him was this morning. The woman stared as if she feared I was insane.
3: What did he look like?
0: Tall, thin, sandy hair, aristocratic features. He's extremely haggard from a sleep disorder. Distraught, she opened her purse, pulled out a wallet, and removed a photograph. I frowned. In the photograph, two men who looked like Jody stood on either side of the blonde woman who confronted me. But... The man on the left, she pointed angrily,
3: is—was
0: Jody. Her voice tightened with emotion.
3: The man on the right is Jared Cook. He's my husband. He teaches at the College of Art and Design. I haven't seen him in ten days. Nobody at the College has, either. But the last time I did see him— He looked terrible because he hasn't slept well since his twin brother died.
0: She peered through the open door.
3: Sleeping? My God, you you don't suppose?
0: As a thought seized her, she hurried inside. Following, I barely noticed huge rooms off a large corridor. All I paid attention to were the pounding of her shoes on the staircase as I rushed after her. On the upper level, she charged into a room and stopped so quickly that I almost banged into her.
3: "'No,'
0: she murmured. The bedroom was in chaos. The bureau lay on the floor. The bed was torn apart, the box spring in one corner, the mattress in another. Sheaths and clothes were everywhere.
3: "'This is where he's been?'
0: She sounded in shock
3: jared has been living in Jody's bedroom. Dr. Dr. Baker. "'Dr. Baker. Dr. Baker. "'Identical twins.'
0: "'The woman's name, I learned, was Michelle Cook. "'We sat in the drawing-room, which was one floor above the street. "'The sounds of sporadic traffic passed below us, "'but the tops of the drooping trees in the park shielded us from the cars.' voice sounded strained.
3: "'When their mother was still alive, "'she told me how inseparable Jared and Jody were as children. "'From the moment they were born, "'they reached for one another, "'trying to embrace, "'as their mother believed they tried to embrace in her womb. "'As toddlers, "'they seemed to be able to communicate without speaking. "'When they did speak, "'it was often in a private language. "'They couldn't bear to be separated.' They sat beside each other in grade school, high school, and college. They both played the piano beautifully. Duets.
0: Michelle nodded toward a grand piano.
3: They both loved to sail. They both... also...
0: A memory made her uncomfortable.
3: At one time, each of them dated me, until I chose between them and married Jarrett.
0: More uncomfortable... She crossed her legs.
3: I guess I chose Jared because he was steadier.
0: How do you mean?
3: Jody had a problem.
0: Michelle indicated a well-stocked liquor cabinet opposite the piano. I nodded.
3: About the only other noteworthy difference between them is that, while they both majored in architecture in college, Jared chose to go into education. In contrast... "'Jody bought run-down historic houses, restored them, and sold them at a profit. "'As you can see from his home, he was very successful.'
0: "'How did Jody die?'
3: "'One of his loves killed him.'
0: "'I listened intensely.
3: "'A month ago, Jared and Jody took their sailboat onto the Savannah River "'and headed toward the ocean. "'They did that a lot on weekends.' It was something they looked forward to, a chance to be together and share one of the things they most enjoyed. They checked the weather reports and knew there was a slight risk of a storm, but the probability seemed so remote, they decided to continue with their plans. That Saturday morning was glorious. By afternoon, the storm hit. By nightfall,
0: Jody was dead. How? How? My apprehension increased.
3: Jared told me the storm came on so fast and strong they couldn't get back to port. In fact, they had so little control of the boat, the wind threw it onto rocks.
0: Michelle had trouble continuing.
3: Jody got pinned beneath wreckage inside the boat. As it sank, Jared tried to pull him free, but they were underwater. And when Jared swam to the surface to catch a breath, a wave forced him away. He almost died on the rocks. When the storm moved on, hikers found him unconscious on the shore. He spent two days in the hospital. I tried to assure him he did everything possible to save Jody. But he wouldn't stop blaming himself. The night after the funeral, Jared began having sleep problems.
0: That explains why he was searching for himself, I thought. I must have said it out loud, because Michelle looked puzzled.
3: What do you mean?
0: I told her what happened at the sleep clinic.
3: Where am I? Need to find me?
0: she asked. That's what he kept saying. Need to find me. It was a persistent litany. Michelle considered the significance.
3: In his subconscious, Jared identified with Jody. Mentally, he was searching for his dead twin, trying to change places with him.
0: I remembered something that Jody, that I corrected myself, that Jared told me. He had the answer for what was happening to him. He just didn't know how true his words were. Michelle shook her head in confusion. "'I was looking for an explanation in terms of sleep disorders,' I said. "'I should have realized. "'If he was in Phase two of sleep, "'he couldn't have vivid dreams that would prompt him to act as he did. "'Then the solution has to lie somewhere else. "'Not in sleep disorders, but in psychological disorders. "'He wondered if he was having an out-of-body experience.' He said maybe he was so disoriented that he didn't feel connected to himself. I I still don't... Sleep therapists receive training in psychology, I said. Based on what you've told me, it's now clear that Jared is disassociating. The memory of what happened makes him create a kind of half-wakeful dream in which he's trying to change reality. If he can find himself, which I think means Jody the name he insists on calling himself. Then the accident never occurred.
3: God help him.
0: Oh, he needs help, all right, I said. The sooner we find him, the better. I believe he's capable of hurting himself. Michelle reached for the telephone. I'll call the police. No, we don't want to make him more disturbed. But you said we need to find him before he hurts himself. "'Yes,' I said, and I think I know where he is. "'Dr. Dr. Baker.
3: Dr. Baker.' Baker.
0: "'We passed through the gates of St. Bonaventure Cemetery. "'Following Michelle's directions, I took various lanes past tombs, "'elaborate grave markers, and decaying headstones. "'The sky was grey from an approaching storm. "'The name of the trees, Live Oaks.' was a cruel joke. Spanish moss hung from them, almost touching the car's roof as we rounded a corner, and saw a figure sprawled across a freshly sodded grave. The figure was Jared, and the grave, as I'd anticipated, belonged to his twin brother Jody, whom he'd convinced himself, and me, that he was. Lying face down on the grave, he didn't seem to hear the car approach and stop, He didn't turn in our direction when we opened our doors and walked toward him. His back rose and fell spastically. At first, I thought the movement was from forceful breathing. Then I realized he was crying. Jared, Michelle said, using his true name. He didn't seem to hear. Jared, she repeated. No response. His back heaved. His sobs were anguished. His fingers dug into the sod. Jerry, she tried again.
3: I'm sorry. I didn't mean for it to happen. You've got to forgive me. Please.
0: Whatever that meant. I didn't have time to try to understand. All that mattered was getting his attention. Jody. I used the name he wanted to assume. His back stopped heaving. His sobs froze. His hands stopped clawing at the dirt. Jody, I felt the wind increase, and the live oaks and the Spanish moss moving above us. It'll soon rain. You need to go home.
3: Please,
0: Michelle said. He shifted his gaze toward the name on the headstone. Jody. "'Go home, Jody,' I said. "'Tears clinging to his cheeks. "'He didn't resist when Michelle and I raised him to his feet. "'His clothes were streaked with dirt. "'Then he turned to me, and I recoiled, "'gaping at haggard features and raw red eyes. "'The face and the eyes were mine.' "'Dr. Baker, Baker. Dr. Dr. Baker, I keep calling for you. "'And you don't come, Dr. Baker. "'Why won't you help me? "'Baker, cook, so close. "'Sometimes I need you so much, I see myself as you. "'It's raining. "'It's suddenly, unnervingly dark.' the bug-infested Spanish moss, hangs over me. I'm totally alone. I look at my watch. Almost three, the same as on every other night. My car's headlights cast my shadow over the grave, illuminating the name on the headstone. I sink to the ground and claw at the sod. Jody Cook "'the man who made a fortune restoring Savannah's crumbling historic houses, "'the man who loved alcohol as much as his twin avoided it, "'the man who once dated his brother's wife. "'My wife!' "'And seduced her,
3: put his candlestick in. "'My wife. "'Rub-a-dub-dub. "'I wanted to butcher the son of a bitch.' S-C-A-D. S-C-S-D. One letter's difference. Slice office. Stuff it in. Couldn't let anyone suspect. Lower level. Knocked him over the head. Sank the boat. Drowned him. The candlestick maker. Drowned the candlestick maker. Hidden beneath. Why did he have to? Why did
0: she let him put his candlestick in? Bug-infested Spanish moss. Loved him more than...
3: Reached for him in the salt water of the womb. Drowned him in the salt water of the sea. Out of body. Out of mind. Restoration. Pineapple. Prick. Damn her. If Jody's who she wants, Jody's who I'll be. Not Dr. Baker. Headlights blazing. A car roaring toward me. Doors banging open. Michelle shouting, Jared, I'm sorry. Dr. Baker
0: shouting, Jody. Jared, Jody,
3: Jared. Dr. Baker, I swallowed clonazepam. So, how could I have reached this cemetery? How could I be clawing at this grave? How could it suddenly be night? Not in the cemetery. Lord help
0: me, where am I?
3: In the sleep clinic,
0: dreaming. Dr. Dr. Baker.
3: Baker, Dr. Baker. I'm not Dr. Baker, I'm... Jared! Jody! Need to find myself. Wake, Wake up!
2: Our thanks to David and his representatives for allowing us to record this story, which is one of several that we pursued during our early startup days some three and a half years ago. My, how time flies when one is questing for content. We found it to be worth the wait, and we hope you did as well. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this, or any of our other stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and we do actually want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast and other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. It wouldn't hurt if you recommended it to your friends as well. And also please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running. Those servers are very hungry. They need to be fed. Please remember, everybody, that Far-Fetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives 4.0 international license. Which means you can download the content, share it all you like with all those wonderful friends of yours, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And you do have to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the author's and Violator's dreams will be forever haunted. By something... A little less salubrious than you might think. My thanks, as always, go out to my editor, Gary Dowell, and our audio engineer extraordinaire, Mark Sanfardino. Until next week, dear listeners, I'll see you all next week, dear listeners. Bye now.
0: This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere
1: else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.